macarons, that amazing French butter, and why French people don't make Bouche de Noël at home for Christmas. This week, we're in Vienne, France. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome to the show. This is where we explore the world's great cuisine. And this week, we're in a terrific foodie region of France that's relatively undiscovered. It's called Vienne, and our guide to Vienne is Andrew Pryor, host of the Fabulously Delicious podcast. But first, if you've been enjoying the show and could find your way to support Destination Eat Drink, I'd be very grateful. We don't run ads on the show or on DestinationEatDrink.com, but still costs to get the show produced and out to you. So if you could, go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Contribute button. And maybe we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast like John K and Sammy T and Lori F or Miguel R. Muto obrigado to all you folks. Andrew Pryor is an Australian expat who makes his home in the Vienne region of France. He hosts a great foodie podcast that I just love called Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. In it, he explores French gastronomy, one dish or drink at a time. So, you know, we were going to be fast friends. Andrew also leads food tours and cooking experiences in France and you can catch up with all his doings at andrewpriorfabulously.com. I've also got a link to his show in the show notes. You can get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED211. Andrew and I talk about the region's famous macarons, goat cheese, and rich butter that makes those croissants so amazing. Plus, we talk about pan au chocolat or chocolatine depending on where you live in France. And with Christmas coming up, we talk about the famous holiday pastry in France, the Bouche de Noël, which Andrew tells me no one in France actually makes at home. Okay, I'm starving for some French food, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Andrew, you live in France right now, but... It's not in an area that I'm super familiar with. Maybe a lot of folks outside of France aren't familiar with it either. So give us an idea. Where are you? What part of France is this? And just give us a thumbnail as to what it's like. Brent, uh, more people should be uh, know about it. Um, although I don't want it to become a tourist hotspot and I can't drive around anymore like the Côte d'Azur. Um, but uh, yes, I live in uh, a town called Montmorillon. And it is part of the Vienne, um, which is also part of Poitou-Charente. Uh, so that's the different France. There are towns, cities, departments, and regions. Now, I always get confused as to whether the region is in the department. I think the department is in within the region. I'm, I, that confuses me every time whenever I try to think about it. But, yes, uh, the Vienne, it's um, a lovely area of, France, it is just below the Loire Valley. So literally for me, if I want to go see some chateaus and things like that, I'm an hour and a half's drive, not even that. 
to uh, the Loire to go see Chianso uh, or um, any of the famous uh, chateaus there. And then I can also jump on a TGV train and I'm two and a half hours from Paris, two hours to Bordeaux. I recently just drove to Cognac the other day and that was an hour and a half. So we're very well centrally located and it is a food bowl, the um, the Vienne. It is uh, definitely a place where you can get really great produce. So for me, uh, I'm a, I love to cook and uh, that's really important to me. So it's a great place to get lots of produce. It's not a area that has uh, a specific, shall we say, you know, it's not like known for its wines or it's not known for its tourism, like the chateaus and things like that. But it is also not the agricultural um, part of uh, France. Uh, we're sort of right on the cusp of that. So it's great. We get all the benefits of uh, being close to everything that we want to see, but also right on the cusp of the area that supplies us with delicious produce. Which is always a plus. And we want to talk about food, but I think you brought up something that uh, is always interesting to me uh, when we talk about France, which is the uh, TGV trains. And I think people need to realize, when you look at a map, you may not realize how massive France is as far as area goes. I mean, it's almost as big as Texas. And Texas, I lived in Texas for a, a while. It is huge. You can take, you can drive all day long and still not be all the way across Texas. France is much <laughs> the same, but you're like, two and a half hours to Paris, two hours to Bordeaux. These cities are far away, yet you can hop on a train. Um, that's one of the things that I love about being in Europe is the high-speed trains will get you from point A to point B quicker, faster, more efficient than hopping on an airplane or even jumping in your car. Yes, absolutely. Well, actually, it's interesting that you know that because they just made a, a new law. Um, well, they love making new laws here in France, but they <laughs> made a, a new one in the last year or so. And that was that uh, if you you are not allowed to have a flight between two cities in France if there is a TGV within two and a half hours. So, for an example, we have an airport here at our the, the large. There's two large cities. One is Limoges, and another one is uh, Poitiers. So, Poitiers and Limoges both have airports, and you cannot get a plane from them to Paris none of the airports in Paris because it's it's not allowed. So you it's to force people to use the TGV. And uh, because why would you, you know? And and when I actually say the Poitiers is, uh, we have a direct train from our town to Poitiers. That in itself is 50 minutes. And so that's not a fast train. It's just a normal train. It's lovely. You get to see the countryside. Then you get off at Poitiers and then that is what is just an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes, depending on what train you get to Paris. So, Andrew, we've got you on uh, or at least near the high speed train line, which means convenient to get to uh, Vienne, where you are from uh, Paris or from Bordeaux two fantastic cities people should visit when they're in France. Um, but when we get to Vienne, what should we know about the food culture in that area? Well, uh, there's uh, two things that um, stand out to me straight away. And uh, 
One is the butter, would you believe, is very important. It's very important to France and it's very important to the rest of the world as well. Uh, pastry chefs absolutely love the butter from this region. So there's something in whatever the cows are eating here that, uh, and the type of cow as well um, that uh, is uh, making the butter just really great for those delicious pastry tarts, etc. that we, we just know and love about France. Um, so that's the Poitou Charente um, region is really known for its butter. And, uh, you know, when you go to places like Brittany or Normandy and you have the butter there, especially with the salt, um, you know, that's for your baguette, you know, that's for you to go with your cheese, that's to uh, put in dishes and cook with, although I, I very rarely have enough left over to cook with it. Um, I'm just usually eating it all at the at the end of the baguette. Um, but uh, no, for us here in Patu Charente, the butter is fantastic for pastry. So it's the butter that they use when, you know, you're making a tart case, uh, if you're making uh, a milfoy or something like that that you're going to have puff pastry with, then that's what they, if Place uses the Poitou Charente butter, um, which a lot of pastry chefs in France do do and a lot of pastry chefs around the world do, uh, then that's one thing. And uh, then the other thing is goat's cheese. The goat's cheese here is just amazing oh yum um so yes if you're a lover of all things goat's cheese do you know what actually Brent, i was not before i moved here oh really i didn't yeah i really didn't like it um i love cheese but i'd always shy away from the goat's cheese but since moving here now it's a staple and it's regularly in the fridge it's just it's such a great versatile cook with as well you know that you can um yeah, I make a really lovely salad that um, that you get in a lot of the bistros and restaurants here in this region. You will get a simple salad. It's just uh, lettuce with a lovely dressing and some shallots. But then also what they will do is that they will toast uh, baguette slices and then pop a slice or two or three or four, depending on how many slices is going to be in that salad, of uh, a slice of goat's cheese on it and they grill that. And so basically, it's like a grilled cheese sandwich in a salad, um, but they're using goat's cheese, and it's just absolutely delicious. It sounds divine, and it reminds me of when we were in uh, Lyon in France. And one of the things that struck me about Lyon is how well the folks eat there during lunch, like people who just go out mm. for, um, you know, from their office or whatever, people who are working, uh, they will go out and they will have a fine dining meal at a very reasonable price. And we had a very similar, a simple salad with uh, tomatoes and shallots and toasted baguette with uh, goat cheese on the top. So it sounds very similar mm. to, uh, to what you're talking about there. And man, it was absolutely spectacular. I still remember it, uh, you know, several years later, just the salad, you know, people, oh, it's just a salad, <laughs> but it's not just the salad. It's fantastic. Um, Andrew, uh, before we move on, I wanted to go back to butter for just a moment because mm -hmm. I was wondering, yes. you mentioned pastries and I'm wondering, do they use this butter in croissants? Because I think, I think the butter makes a, makes a big difference. And um, you, you tell me about it, and then I'll tell you why I think it makes it, or my experience with it making such a big difference. So it is. So they definitely use it in croissants. Um, it is the, the, now I'm not an 
expert on this. I just go by what I've been told. Um, and from what I understand, it is the level of water and fat content that's in the butter from this region, uh, you know, that makes it so good for pastries and so good for croissants. Uh, I don't know if you you know or not, but there actually is uh, two different types of just your normal croissant here in France. So there's one that's with butter and there's one, they say, they call that a croissant avec beurre, depending on where you are. And there's one that's actually with margarine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So margarine was invented by, well, not by Napoleon, but for Napoleon. He wanted something that would last the long trip. They obviously uh, didn't have, um, you know, fridges and things like that. And he wanted something that was going to last the trip for people going into Russia the soldiers going over to um, Russia during his war. So he they he tasked them with making um, margarine. Uh, another story, another thought on that is that he had it made because he didn't, people used to use butter on their faces. The poor did to insulate themselves when it was cold. Oh, wow. After he found that out, apparently, another story is that after he found that out, uh, he did not want to eat butter anymore, so he had to come up with a substitute. So, Hoon, I, I prefer the I prefer the war story. Uh, I don't often I don't often prefer 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 war stories, but uh, on this one I'll go with that. Um, but what happened then when they made margarine was they realised that that was also something because it's in that level, the, the fat and water level in it, makes it perfect for making croissants as well. So getting those layers is what's really good. And then so, yes, so with the if you ever go to a patisserie in France, you will see that a croissant avec beurre is a straight croissant and the croissant with margarine is in the crescent shape. Um, okay. And... Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, um, uh, I think it was one of the food chains in the UK had a went to the court over um, over it because they were getting their they wanted their croissants with butter made in a crescent shape, and the manufacturer here in France would not do it um, because it was basically against the law. It's supposed to be a straight croissant if it's got butter in it. Oh man, I love I love these <laughs> I love what I call food fights. I love these things because they're so entertaining, <laughs> yes. man. Um, the thing I wanted to bring up about croissants is when, when we moved to Portugal, I was very excited to find croissants in the local bakeries and the Portuguese, mm -hmm. everyone knows the Portuguese also make wonderful pastries. So I'm not telling this story in order to slag off on the Portuguese because I talk about their pastries all the time and I love them. However, I have been less than enthralled with the croissants made here in Portugal. And my theory is. And, you know, this could just be another one of my crackpot theories. I have a bunch of them. Um, mm -hmm. th this could be because the butter does not have the fat and water content because the Portuguese croissants um, are less flaky and have less rise to them. In other words, there's less air between each layer. And the Portuguese seem to like them, so God bless them, let them love them. Um, for me, I prefer the French ones. And a place just opened in our town that imports uh, French croissants, and now that's where I go to get my croissants in uh, in, in Portugal. So anyway. French, it is absolutely that, French. And, you know, I think it goes with that saying, the, the French saying of terroir, 
you know, uh, the terroir in butter is that, you know, it's what the cows eat that gives you the taste and the product at the end. So, you know, that's why you get a different butter. The butter that comes from Normandy or Brittany, those lovely cows, they're eating, you know, daffodils and all of these sort of things and those rolling green hills. It's just amazing. So, you know, that's the butter that you get that you can just have. I I literally, I stop eating cheese. Whenever we have a cheese uh, platter, I stop eating the cheese when I'm coming to the end of the baguette because I just want to have the baguette with butter. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So absolutely it makes a difference but it's not quite the same when you have the the butter here in poitou charon but you put that poitou charon butter in pastry and it works perfectly we being australian i when i was in australia i did food tours in australia and um i had a french food tour an all-day french food tour it took me three and a half months to research it i tried over 50 different croissants in the research for that and the one that came the closest to being what I'd had here in France was one that was using butter that was imported from France. There you go. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, there's something in It's that. all about the butter, I guess. Um, one other, one other uh, gluten bread related topic um, as, as we talk about croissants is um, I recall in Paris, you know, when you go into a patisserie, you get uh, for breakfast a pan au chocolat which is kind mm-hmm. of a croissant with some dark chocolate in it. Um, but mm-hmm. I then found that it goes by different names depending on what region you're in. And so I'm wondering, do we, when we go visit you in Vienne, do we call it Pano Chocolat or is there a different name for this? No, it is the Pano Chocolat. So there's the two, there's the, I saw a map on this. From most of France, it's a pan au chocolat. When you get down south, it's a chocolate team, I want to say. Yes, chocolate team. And then that's it. And then up north, it's the something else as well. And then even further up north, there's a little part that decides it wants to call it something different as well. And I want to say that maybe somewhere in Brittany that's maybe called something else. But for the majority of France, it is pan au chocolat. Now, Brent, I don't know if we've seen a picture of me or not, um, but uh, I'm not exactly the thinnest person <laughs> in the world. And I have eaten my fair share of panel chocolates in my life, um, not just for research for tours, but just in life in general. And I am I am backed up by my um by my husband on this one the patisserie in town, not the bakery, but the patisserie in town do make what I think is the best panel chocolate I've ever had. And I've had quite a few panel chocolates, but it is pretty darn amazing. Andrew has done the research, so you can trust his <laughs> uh, <laughs> his take on the panel chocolate. In fact, it's so good, I would suggest just to come to Montmorillon just for the panel chocolate. Don't worry about anything else. Don't come for me. Don't come <laughs> for anything else in town. Just come for the panel chocolate. Seriously, it's that good. Your your town is also famous for the uh, macarons. Um, mm-hmm. My 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 aunt who speaks French and studied in French speaking Belgium, make sure that I say that properly. Macaron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about them in the, in your town, Andrew. Yes, yeah, so it is famous. So it's one of the towns that has their own version of a macaron. 
So you will find, again, similar to the different names for a pan of chocolate, there are different versions of uh, a macaron depending on where you are in France. So we all know a macaron as the you know, what is made famous from La Dorée, and that would be the um, almond meringue, two biscuits with a with a ganache or some sort of delicious cream in between those two biscuits. Oh, and my God. they are just amazing. A little tip if you do come to France and you find a place that sells them, um, buy them just before you leave to go back home, and then when you get home, uh, you take them over in the airport with your on board, not in your check-in luggage. But when you get them home, freeze them uh, and then take them out and defrost them and they will just be as perfect as they were when they came out of the shop uh, if you do that process. It's just a little tip there that was given to me by a a, um, a pastry chef in Melbourne who was French. She used to do that all the time and it works an absolute treat. But here in Montmorillon, we have the Montmorillon macaron, which is actually a little bit, it's a little bit more like a macaroon. So you do know, do you know the difference now? I've got a question for you, Brent. Do you know the difference between a macaron, a macaroon and macron? No, I don't. Please educate okay, so, me. So the macar- macaron, the, I've got to say this right, the macaron is the lovely biscuit that I mentioned from La Durée to, you know, the two almond uh, egg whites uh, meringue biscuits uh, with a lovely ganache in between. The macaroon is often made with coconut uh, okay, or right, it can right, be, right. Uh, it could, you know, often made with coconut and is sort of, you know, uh, um, in a ball shape. And then, of course, macaron is a very, uh, famous, uh, handsome French president. Um, <laughs> but so our Montmorillon macaron is uh, more or less. It's it's sort of more like a macaroon, but instead of using coconut. Now this is a guarded recipe. They will not tell me. No matter how many times I go in there and buy them, uh, they will not tell me how they make them. But instead of using coconut, they use almonds. Uh, in that, so so they still call it a macaron, even though it looks more like a macaroon. Uh, and then this is something that happens uh, all over France. There's other regions that have uh, macarons, uh, macaroons. <laughs> I keep on saying macaron. Um, I'm, I'm fixated. There's other <laughs> regions that have macarons. Um, mac- I did it again. Macaroons, but uh, just the biscuit. There's no ganache in between the with the meringue biscuit. They just sell the biscuit. And then there's other ones that uh, have them and they just, you know, they're completely different, have completely different ingredients. It's just the way it is here in France. There's just, you know, different things, different, the same name for different things. You're blowing my mind because I had no idea that they were so different um, from Mm. the typical uh, macarons that we're familiar with that we get in every patisserie in Paris or other cities. Um, So could we get these in just about Mm -hmm. any bakery in your town of uh, Monte... uh, Help me say your name. Let me say the name of your uh, town. I want to get it right. Mont... Okay. Oui. Mont Morion. Okay. Oui, but it's all the same name. So it's not Mont as in Mont for mountain. 
Um, yeah. The story goes, we've just actually been doing a little bit of research. And there's, as I said, there's, there's all in France, there's always different stories. But the one we sort of read recently, the, the way the town got its name was the was Mont, which is mountain for French. Um, but the Morion is something to do with the Moors. So the Moors have come through here. Oh, okay. um, we've had Romans through here. There's actually some Roman ruins down the road. Uh, just about a 10-minute drive on the way outside of town um, that are quite sort of fabulous to go see. It used to be a spa, apparently. Um, I don't know. Obviously, economic downturn and the spa disappeared um, and the Romans just left the ruins. So thank you for that. Um, but, uh, no, it's uh, it's a gorgeous town. We have... Um, uh, so we have the Macron, but it's, it's, it's just in the patisserie, which sells also sells the the great uh, panel chocolate and also uh in the macaron museum so there's a museum devoted to this macaron and uh they sell it and they have a few shops in uh potier as well and i think they have one in limoges i want to say as well but apart from that that's it you can only get it here um i think there might also be a chance that you could pick them up in paris at uh, le bon marché or Galleries Lafayette or one of those stores in their food hall. But usually you want to get it fresh and you want to get it straight from here. And uh, so that's, yes, yeah, so that's, it's definitely what the town is known for, uh, for in regards to food. But um, I don't know if you want me to tell you a bit more about the town itself. Yes, I would. I'd love to hear more about the town itself. Um, it sounds like it's a rather small village. Is that the, uh, is that the, picture that i should be painting in my head right now uh, so it's four and a half four thousand people um okay. that live in the town and uh it gets a lot of people from the surrounding area and uh it's a wonderful town it's actually known as the city de la Cree, uh and that was uh Cree and uh, livre so uh writing and books in the 80s uh, they the council one of the council members was a famous uh, female writer of France. She wrote a book called The Bicycle Blue, and a very frame, famous French book. And she actually came up with this uh, innovative idea. There was uh, the old part of town, which is sort of the old part of town is at the top of the hill, and it sort of comes down into the down to the river. And it was a bit in the eighties, a bit derelict. Uh, people. You know, there was a lot of people, a lot of French that owned the buildings, but they didn't live in them and they just left them alone. There was a, a few squatters and things like that in there. And it was just a, apparently not a very nice area to go to. So the town bought up a lot of the property there and turned them into stalls, into shops and created the city de la Cree. So there's a whole lot of bookshops up there. And uh, that sort of helped in the 80s to, and the 90s to sort of put Montmorillon on the map. And now we're having, and obviously with bookstores, they're not as popular as they used to be. And uh, especially being French bookstores, there's not as many people that are interested. There's a couple of, there's a couple of um, uh, stores still there, bookstores still there. Uh, one English actually, um, and he and another one, a Belgium guy, has a lot of cookbooks. He's got something like ten thousand cookbooks there, but they're all French, um, wow. which is fine. But uh, but it's still amazing to go pick up a cookbook. And um, but they're now uh, looking at you know the town is uh, 
definitely changing. And so that city delivery is starting to change and they have a new project coming to town and that is a new, uh, hopefully four-star uh, hotel, restaurant and spa coming. It's part of, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a chef called Joel Rubichon. No. So Joel Rubichon is uh, uh, one of, you know, if you're going to say the, the sort of the, Chefs, the main sort of big chefs of France, you would say Jean Rubichon, Paul Bocuse, uh, Alain Ducasse, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, there's going to be more there that I can name. But so Paul Bocuse and Jean Rubichon sadly have passed on, um, passed away. But uh, Jean Rubichon actually, there's a beautiful building that we see from um, my office window, actually. I see it. I get an amazing view of it. Uh, the Hotel Dieu. So, House of God, it was a, a, a hospital at one stage. It was a, a psychiatric hospital, um, and it also was a school. Uh, it's a beautiful, big building, and um, there's actually a right next door to it. There is a, a 14th century octagon, and uh, which is pretty amazing. You can get tours that go through it. And then there's also another... Um, I think it's 12th or 13th century church right next door to it that's uh, no longer used as a church, but they use it sort of as a space to do concerts and things like that, which is a, a really amazing experience. So what they're going to be doing is transforming that into a hotel, restaurant and spa. Uh, the restaurant will be in, in part of the church. And Joel Rubichon group, um, his family group, uh, are part of the project and they're setting up a, a hospitality school in Poitiers. And so the students of that school, the people that learn to be chefs, learn to be waiters, learn to be hotel staff, um, learn massage therapy, all of those things, they will come and work here and do their stages here at the hotel. So it's going to be fantastic for the town. Um, it's the sale of the property just went through uh, just a month ago and we're hoping they're going to start doing the renovations on it and the starting of the project uh, next spring and fingers crossed it'll all be ready for 2025. It sounds like it's going to be in a, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing setting. I can't wait to see what that restaurant looks like when it's finished. Can't wait to visit it actually. Yes. (laughs) Great. Good. Good. Uh, Um, now, Andrew, you do uh, cooking experiences for folks who come to your town. Tell, tell me a little bit about what that's like. You know, what will happen when they come and they see you and they go with this uh, cooking experience? Yeah. Well, actually, they start, it's my first ones will start next year. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, I was all, I was doing, had them all lined up and then COVID happened. And uh, unfortunately, that sort of stopped things. But uh, right. I do, they are starting next year. Um, and they're sort of, I have uh, previously done food tours, so small group tours, six to eight people of France. And uh, those, I was always getting other people to do the cooking cooking class in that tour. And everybody that was coming on them was wanting to cook with me. And so I thought, well, this is part of why we moved to the country. So you will come here and uh, for this, the option of uh, three-day um, cooking experiences. And we will come, we will eat, we will cook, and we will eat some more, uh, drink a little bit of wine. And we'll also visit some local producers 
we have, uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's the goat's cheese here, but we also have a fantastic um, orchard just not too far from here that's up the road from an amazing chateau uh, that we can go visit and look at the gardens of the chateau and then head off to the orchard where we can actually pick our own fruit um, to make the tarts and things like that right off the... So if you're picking berries, strawberries, raspberries, they're just growing there that we can go pick them. They've got apples, they've got pears. So no matter what time of the year, is, there's always something there that we can get straight from the tree or the plant and then bring it back and prepare it for a fantastic dessert. Um, but it's just all about, uh, you know, welcoming people here to Montmorillon um, and uh, just showing them uh, regional food and, you know, seasonality in food, which is just so important these days. You know, it, it, France is really amazing in regards to that, especially coming from an Australian where, you know, in Australia, the weather is fantastic and all the time, you know, it's always nice and warm in Australia unless you're one of those unfortunate people that live in that lovely place called Tasmania. But unfortunately, <laughs> it gets cold down there in Tasmania. Yeah. Um, but uh, everyone else, we get that lovely weather. So we get things available all year round. You get tomatoes available in Australia all year round, which I'm sure they do in the States and things like that. But here in France, you know, often I will go to a supermarket and there will be no tomatoes. If it's winter, they don't. The French are not going to pay 9, 10, 12 euro for a tomato that was imported from Spain, greenhouses in Spain. They won't do it. Um, they eat seasonally. And uh, I think that's really important. In these days of sustainability, I think, you know, eating in within your means, so eating, part of that is seasonality of food it's local it's the locality of the food you know getting things from the region i agree with you wholeheartedly andrew i i i say one of the things that i always say is first thing you should do when you get to a new city is go on the food tour and then the second thing to do is go to the local market, not not the supermarket, although that can mm. be fun too. Uh, you yes. know, I, I love to go to the supermarket and find out different candies and and stuff like that yes. that, that they're selling. But go or to in, the uh, or in France. Oh, sorry, I was just saying, or in France, where the cheese aisle is bigger than yes. the biggest aisle there is. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and 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 getting little little jars of mustard to take home with you. All those fun things to mm. do in the supermarket. But we're talking about markets where the local produce is sold. And this is a great opportunity for you to go and see not only what's growing seasonally, but all the different things that are grown there. And I think, you know, one of the things that I always like to do is go to the market, get some produce, get some cheese, get some bread, and then have a picnic. Um, France is famous for its markets. Uh, what kind of, what mm. kind of markets do you guys have that are close to you in, in the Vienne region? Yeah, so absolutely. And so both of our, um, both of the cooking experiences that I have, one will be, one starts on a Tuesday and finishes on the Thursday. Uh, and then the other one starts on a Friday, finishes on the Sunday. And that being the reason is that the, the Tuesday one then means on Wednesday morning, we have market day, which is the in town. So we have our memorial market, which is fantastic. Uh, my golden retrievers, uh, they are very uh, well known at the market. Uh, <laughs> they are very popular. 
Um, we walk around the market and they get pats and the French go, oh, il est beau, il est beau, oh. and uh, ask if they can caress the dogs. Um, unfortunately, nobody tells me that I'm beau and nobody wants to <laughs> caress me. Um, but uh, that's fine. I've, I've come to that conclusion. It's not going to happen. But um, the market here on Wednesday is just fantastic. And uh, then on Saturday in the nearby town of Shorbini, uh, which is just a 15, 20-minute drive up the road, uh, they have a fabulous uh, market, about probably about twice the size, maybe three times the size of our one here in Montmorillon. And the one in Montmorillon isn't a bad size. Like, you know, we have... Uh, Two fishmongers, uh, we have uh, one, two, two fromageries, uh, three uh, boucheries. There's a, a, a man that uh, uh, from the local area that has chickens, um, and then of course, all the fruit and veg, and, and then you know, little knickknacks. There's a, a lovely patisserie lady that uh, has a patisserie cart that lives in the village, and she she's a young entrepreneur, and uh, she does these fantastic tarts all year round. Um, and then, you know, you've even got people selling gemstones. So you've got everything here at the markets uh, here in uh, Montmorillon. And the thing about them is when you come on, and especially when you come for like a cooking, one of the cooking experiences, it's not... You know, I try to, when we go, when I had my tours in Melbourne, uh, in Australia, you know, the big thing about that was that we had the opportunity to actually meet the chefs or the producers of the products that we were buying and talk to them. But unfortunately, you know, you really can't do that. When I, I really worry about that when I see a food tour, even in, even in Paris where there's so many people what experience those people are getting and because you know there's such a market here for the locals that they can't stop and tell a local that's coming to them every day hold on can you wait five minutes while i just talk to this tour people tour guide uh, with and their group which is unfortunate but it is a fact of life they have to earn a living and their living even in paris comes from the locals so, you know, whenever I would walk past in markets that I knew, when I, I often saw this, I would see tour guides talking, having, you know, a gentleman, a storeholder, talking to their group. And and 99% of the time I saw that, it was not somebody that I would go to and buy their produce. It was not somebody that I knew that was really great. It was somebody that was getting things that were from Spain or from, you know, other areas. And it just wasn't great because, you know, they would take the money from this tour guide, take the commissions and and go and speak to them. And that's what they were about. Um, I, When you come here to Montmorillon and you go to the markets, you go with me, we'll walk around, you will see, you'll meet the same people that I meet every Wednesday. They will say hello, they will say bonjour, they will ask where you are from, but they do have other customers coming and they do have to serve those. So that's why when we go, we'll be, you know, like I try to get as much information about them from what I know of them. I go to them every day, every Wednesday. So I meet them every day, every Wednesday, and I talk to them very briefly, but they ask how I am and they, they love the fact that we're Australian and we found a place here in France, countryside to talk to, and they love that I attempt to speak French. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but, you you know, you get to know them, and that's what I want people to come and experience and feel like they've actually not been told by, you know, uh, a producer that, you know, this is 
what something is and, you know, the general spiel or something like that. But instead, they've, like, gone there and that person's had an interest in them and they've talked to them uh, and found out who they are in that brief time. And, you know, yes, they might and they'll learn things because I'll tell them, you know, about things, what I've learned. Um, but that person, you know, they've got a livelihood to make. They've got to serve more customers and have more of, um, you know, they can't just stop for 15, 20 minutes and tell us about their cheese. I think those are excellent points all, Andrew. And, of course, we'll have links to um, your website and your food experiences in the show notes. Also, I'll link to your podcast. You're a podcaster as well as, as, well as doing all of this stuff. Um, tell me about your experience with uh, podcasting. Yes, well, Brent, I um, uh, have a podcast called Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast, and uh, it is all about French food and the people that love it, cook it, make it, eat it, write about it, photog- photograph it, etc. So each week I have a specific topic that we talk about, whether it's a French dish, a, a cooking technique or a, um, an ingredient. And I find somebody who's a little bit of an expert on that topic or a lover of that topic, and we chat about it. And we so in the first half, there's always two halves to an episode. In the first half, we get to know the person and uh, find out about their food history. You know who ins- inspired them into food, etc. If they've lived in France or if they were from France, what that was like. I love hearing stories from French people. You know that it's like especially the ones that have moved from France because it's like they sort of have this sort of nonchalant way about, oh, yes, where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in this town. Oh, what was it like? Oh, I would have had a 13th century chateau out the front of my window. Right. It's like, right, oh, right. really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not normal. I didn't get that in Wollongong in Australia. Um, and yeah, so, we don't get that in the US either, no. man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to talk to them about that sort of thing. And then in the second half, uh, we talk about the actual uh, topic for that um, episode. So. It's uh, doing it's doing great guns. I really love doing. I really love chatting to people about all things food. Um, as you can see, I've got a face for radio, so that's why I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, great. So it's fabulously delicious. The French food podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts. And and I and before. I love the podcast. <laughs> I I enjoy listening to it. It's so much fun. It's uh it's very lighthearted, but it's also very informative as well. And uh, you know, you mentioned the food, but there's a lot of great stuff about French wine. And there was a recent episode about cognac that I very mm. much enjoyed. So um, all these great things I can I can recommend uh, oh, Andrew's cool. fabulously delicious podcast. Andrew, before we let you go, um, I got to ask you: the holidays are coming up. Uh, how, how would we celebrate Christmas in uh, Vienna and in your town? Yes. So, well, it's interesting. Christmas is a really interesting time here, um, especially because, well, A, it just gets so dark, um, you know, in the, in the evenings. It's like, you know, you'll be going five o'clock in the evening and it's dark and it's like I haven't walked the dogs. Um, so... <laughs> It's uh, fabulous. The Christmas lights are on all around town. Uh, we actually moved here the first year of confinement. and Sorry, the first day of confinement, I should say, for the pandemic and for COVID. And that was a strange experience. So our last, well, this is 
this will be our third Christmas here in Montmorillon. Our last two Christmases were affected by the pandemic. So this will be the first time we've really noticed um, since I would say April of this year how the town has gotten back into life um, and how just from last year, how things are completely different events. So we're really looking forward to Christmas. I love Christmas. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the town all in lights and seeing what activities that they have. They do have a Christmas market. It's usually the week before Christmas. So um, it's not as big as the Christmas markets in, you know, Strasbourg or any of the other towns, um, but they do do have one. But one of the things I'm really looking forward to is actually not in Montmorillon, but it's going to be a little, um, maybe a day trip because I don't like to drive around too much in the dark uh, here um, in France just because I'm... I, I was 20 years an insurance broker before I got into food, so I'm a little bit risk adverse. So driving in the dark's not my favourite thing. Um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to heading up just to the Loire, maybe overnight, and seeing the chateaus there because uh, they a little unknown fact because not a lot of people come at Christmas time or in December or January uh, as they do in July and August. Um, but uh, they do all the chateaus. There's a lot of chateaus that they do all of them up in, you know, Christmas decorations and Christmas lights, and they're really quite spectacular, and it's just something that the French all know. So the French all go and do it, um, and I love that. I love going to going at times of the year when it's a – or going to events that are specifically French things. Um, so I'll be doing that, and, of course, I'll be cooking up a storm uh, for Christmas, uh, cooking my chapon. Do you know what a chapon is? No. So a chapon is actually a. It's on usually it's on every Christmas table here in France, uh, and they celebrate France usually with their family on Christmas Eve. Uh, but you know, a lot of people do Christmas Day as well. But a chapon is a castrated rooster, and what happens is that then the rooster itself it will get a bit plumper etc um because it's been castrated apparently this happens and uh, that's what they will usually serve at christmas as well as of course the foie gras um but we have a crisis here in france we've had the bird flu of course and all the other issues that have been going on in the world but there's been a bird flu and there's really a big concern that we're not going to have enough chicken chapon or foie gras here uh, for Christmas this year. So I'm being the smart lad and I'm going to buy mine early and pop it in the freezer and pop it in the cupboard. There you go. <laughs> Plan ahead. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, what about a, uh, what's it called? Bouche de Noel. Is this a popular thing in your area? Yeah, Bouche de Noel. It certainly is. But uh, nobody, I, I, I laugh. Whenever I see people on the internet and it's on YouTube and people are making bouche noels, nobody in France, I, I've never met a French person that's made a bouche noel. It's always made by patisseries. You always it's, go there and un- buy them. Well, it's unbelievably difficult and time-consuming to make one. I think we tried to do it once and I'm like, this is taking all freaking day. <laughs> yes. No, French are going to do that. And this is the thing, you know, when you come over to somebody's house – unusual for you to be asked or to for you to say that I will bring this. So, yeah, so, okay, for me as an Australian, I'm used to just saying, if you bring a bottle of wine, 
But of course, here in France, you wouldn't do that because in France, I mean, even though I do say it, but it's usually I just say it to the Americans and the English, uh, bring a wine, but I would never say it to a French person. Um, because in France, you, you, you take pride in the fact that you've made this meal and you've matched the wine to it. Right. So that's your, your thing here in France. But what you will say is how about you bring dessert? Or you bring the chocolate. Okay. Um, and so that's usually what will happen. Usually in Bouche Noël. And, you know, yes, if you happen to be somebody that's a fabulous pastry uh, pastry cook and can make amazing cakes, no one's going to be upset with you for bringing a cake um, or bringing a homemade Bouche Noël. But, you know, when you see all these amazing Bouche Noëls in patisseries and tarts and all of those things, a lot of the time, that's somebody buying it to take to wherever they're going for dinner or for lunch that day. So they bring the dessert, which I always make a second dessert, Brent, so that I've got leftovers. <laughs> Smart. Again, planning ahead. Very good. Planning ahead. Well, Andrew, it's been a joy talking to you today about uh, your region of Vienna and all the great food and drink and uh, patisseries there as well. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about France from you on your podcast. Thanks so much for being on Destination Eat Drink today. It's just been great talking to you. Uh, merci beaucoup for having me, Brent. Thank you very much. Okay, there you go. Isn't Andrew just a great guy? So much fun. I can imagine one of his cooking experiences would be a great time. I've got links in the show notes for Andrew at radiomisfits.com slash DED211. Or you can go directly to andrewpriorfabulously.com. Well, that's about it for this week. If you like Destination Eat Drink and can support the show, please head over to destinationeatdrink.com. Click on the Contribute button. Your support helps us make a better show and get the word out about foodie travel and food culture. Thank you so much. And if you celebrate, Merry Christmas for me. We're celebrating here in Portugal, where we live now, and we're trying to make new traditions. This year, we've got uh, Christmas Eve plans and uh, Christmas Day plans as well, and it looks like both of them are going to involve a white elephant gift-giving uh, party, so that'll be fun. And I thought it was just an American tradition, apparently. It's a Portuguese tradition, too, or maybe Brazilian. Our friend who's hosting the party is originally from Brazil, she lived in Germany for many years. Maybe it's the German tradition. I don't know. Maybe I'll find out when we go to this party. Anyway, next week on the show, we're in Bogota, Colombia for chicha, coffee, and indigenous cuisine. So don't miss that. And I just posted a story called Four Novels That Will Enhance Your Vacation. Read that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I really believe that reading books, not just nonfiction, but fiction books about a place you're going to travel to, really helps you enjoy your vacation or your travel that much more. So I wrote a blog post about it. I uh, hope you'll enjoy that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who brings wine to the party and scotch and bourbon and gin, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.